kinds of animals that, I mean, only apparently only 1600s maximum numbers of animals would have needed to be included to repopulate the earth in kinds that give us all the different species of animals we have today. Yeah, he left out the unicorn, that's right. Well, it actually is an animal called the unicorn and it's African. You can look it up, it's called an African unicorn and so it's a little horse thing. So there actually is a unicorn. Yeah, has a little, you know, not like what we think with, you know, a purple rainbow kind of. <laughs> it's not near that cute, but um, they, they have it. So, but the ark was, it was, it was amazing. If you like to read, I mean, it's one of those things you have to go through and there's all the different stations. It addresses every area of, you know, long earth with regard to the earth is millions of years old and, and it talks, it shows you the sediment rock layers, the fossilization. It addresses all of those things with regard to the biblical account of creation. And why that's so important in creating a biblical worldview where all of our kids are going to school, they're being taught a, a, sec, a, you know, a secular worldview. Yeah, yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So it addresses, you know, Big Bang. It addresses Big Bang Theory. It addresses, it addresses Long Earth. Dinosaurs. I mean, how many of y'all believe dinosaurs are millions of years old? We're, we're taught to believe that. But in fact, they go through a whole display of actually dinosaurs were on the ark. Because, see, what we think, because we're so, we're so trained to think the way we think, you know, from our world narrative. But he talks about, me and Mike were both just blown away because it's so simple. It was like, how did, you know, the bronchiosaurus, how large it is. Um, how did it get on the ark? You know, but dinosaurs are hatched from what? Right. And so he said, well, God's, God drew the animals to the ark. He's smart enough to bring in adolescents. <laughs> you know, not, maybe not, you know, the giant you know, Barack, you know, and so, and he talks about all the different land animals and how many there are large, you know, so it's like, no, you couldn't have a T-Rex on the ark because it's a meat eater, right? He would eat them all. So see, there again, you're disbelieving what science has told you. Why do we think T-Rex is a meat eater? Because it, because it has sharp teeth, right? We say, well, it has sharp teeth, so therefore it's a meat eater. And he shows all these other species of animals, a fruit bat, and its teeth, all these other animals have extremely sharp teeth. A panda bear, if you look at their teeth, extremely sharp. Panda bear eats bamboo. A fruit bat eats fruit. See, it's in, we, we find that after you look in Genesis 8, 9, when they got off the ark, then animals began to eat meat. <clears throat> Prior to the ark, man didn't eat meat, only ate vegetables. After the ark, man began to eat meat, and the animals were afraid of men because men were now hunting animals. So it's, it, you're, you're going, wow. So anyway, I recommend it if you have, you want to make a road trip or ask, fly into Cincinnati, Ohio and go see it. It was, it was amazing. So anyway, today as we get started, who has a prayer request? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's pray for your, yeah. Air Force Academy, pray for him. Anybody else? We need to remember our president, of course, and 
Keith and Cindy Cooper. Keith has coronavirus and pretty severe, right? Cindy does too, but not as severe. And Eva Hagen also has coronavirus, but she's doing good. Okay, so, yes. Okay. Just minor, but a, a procedures, of, you know, still. But she is going to be put under, so it's, we need to pray. Yes, absolutely. Anyone else? They want it to? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Okay, so pray for Doug. You're in slow death. We all are, Doug. But faster than our slow death? Okay, gotcha. <laughs> but I understand. We're going we're gonna to pray that God will stop your slow death, right? <laughs> yeah, so. Yeah, that's right, that's right. You want to see the, the reconciliation of your family, right? Yes, anyone else? Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, God, that you hear and answer prayer. I pray, Lord God, for Doug's body right now. Speak to his heart in the name of Jesus. And I ask, Lord God, that you would minister healing grace to him, Lord God, that his heart would begin to form according to your word, Lord God, according to your promise, that his flesh would begin to respond to the to the, the word of life, Lord God. We pray, Father, for his grandson who's trying to get into the Air Force Academy, that you would open a way there. We pray for our president, that you would raise him up and heal his body, Lord God. Strengthen him in every possible way. Lord, I pray, Father, for Jesse, Lord, that as she goes into surgery, that you would protect her, Lord God, that you would charge your angels to stand round about her, Lord God. We pray for Eva, God. Bring her, bring her through this coronavirus without any complications. We, we speak to... to um, to the Coopers right now, in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you would touch them and raise them up, Lord God. Let air enter their airways, Lord God, and we rebuke every trace of this virus in the name of Jesus. And we ask, Lord God, that you would minister healing grace in your church, Lord God. We thank you, Lord God, that every one of the promises are yea and amen. And we stand, Lord God, claiming the promises that Christ has accomplished on the cross for us, Lord God. We give you glory, honor, and praise, knowing, Lord God, that you are the author and the finisher of our faith today, Lord God. And we thank you, Lord God for all of your many blessings and we stand in them in faith today in Christ's name we pray amen okay so let's turn in our Bibles today to Hebrews the fourth chapter maybe I'll go the third chapter as well just want to look at continue looking at the idea of working from rest and now Matthew 11 and 28 8 and 29 I believe or 26 through 28 somewhere around there you'll know the scripture it is come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest how many y'all know it can quote it with me take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls now as I've said before in this type of rest it's very important for us to realize that this rest is not something that is mm, you come to Christ on Tuesday and Wednesday and then again you forget and you get rest on Saturday and then you have rest again you you've wasted about four or five weeks and then I didn't even mark my spot oh there it is then you you come again and now you have rest again how many of you that's kind of how you experience the rest of Christ if we're honest I think that all of us do that we're like oh I don't have rest again and we're like, I'm going to come to Christ and, you know, like, like it's, 
you pile up all of your junk. You know what I'm talking about. You just collect. You collect burdens and anxiety. You collect just like trash. You know what I mean? I mean, how many of you, if you're not constantly throwing away your junk mail, you can have a pile of it on your table in no time? You know what I'm talking about, don't you? I mean, it will pile up in a second, and then pretty soon you're like, whoa, and I throw it away before I come in the house. Right, you know what? Years ago, he will, maybe I'm going to tell this story, even though I'm not recorded. Sorry, Ricky, if you happen upon this. Anyway, there was a man, and we lived in Hot Springs, and he had been attending our church for several years, and he didn't have a, any teeth. You know what I mean? I mean, it was just obvious. You know when someone has teeth and when they don't. I didn't think much about it. Some people, my dad got his teeth pulled when he had cancer, and he carried them in his pocket. And so he never, he hated them, you know? And so he's like, he said, I, I find you don't have to have them. You can chew anything you want to without them once you get used to it. But just in case I ever need them, I do carry them in my top pocket. You know, so there are people, when they have their teeth pulled, they're just not going to fuss with dentures because what I understand, they're very uncomfortable. They're hard to get used to, the whole thing. So Ricky was, I thought, was just one of these people, so he just never had teeth. You know, you could tell he didn't have his teeth, so didn't think anything of it. One day, we were in Walmart shopping, and I run into Ricky. Mike and I run into Ricky on one of the aisles, and he's talking. He's real, always real animated guy, and so he's talking to us, and I do notice he has teeth in. But I'm not going to, it's not something you say. You have teeth, but, you know, maybe, maybe because I am not a coy person at all. You know, as I'm talking to him, I'm probably looking at his mouth all the time going, there's teeth there, there's teeth there. I mean, it's probably written on my face, even though it's not coming out of my mouth. I, I realize that about myself. I have no discretion at all. I don't have a poker face, period. Now, Mike does. His face is the same. It doesn't matter if he's mad, happy, sad, glad. It just doesn't change. And so here I am in... in Ricky, I think he picked up on it. He said, hey, did you notice I had teeth? I went, yeah, I did. They look great. <laughs> and, of course, my voice gets really high, you know, and, yeah, oh, it's great. It's just teeth, you know. And so I'm talking to Ricky about his teeth, and then, then the revelation comes. He said, you know what? They've been lost for seven years. I, was like, I said, really? He said, you'll never believe where I found them. I said, where? He said, on my kitchen table. Oh my God. <laughs> I was like, wow, that is a junky table. And I just thought, mental note, never eat at Ricky's house. You know what I'm saying? If you can lose your dentures for seven years on your kitchen table, but I say all that to say this, how many of you, that's kind of how our life begins. We get, I mean, junked out through the week with anxieties and cares and stresses. We can all relate to that, can't we? And so we read that scripture of Matthew 11, 26, 27, 28, I don't know, I'm, I'm off on it, but we can read that portion of scripture there and we can say, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly, and you will find rest for your souls. We're like, okay, good. That's great. I need that out because I can just get so bombarded that I need to have a place to dump. You know what I mean? A place to get rid of all this stuff. That's right, yeah. I get, use him. He just, I just dump on him. But see, that's not what Christ is saying, is he? He's, he's giving us the invitation to live 
a life at rest. And that's harder for us to comprehend, isn't it? You know why it's harder for us to comprehend? Because we don't experience it as such. Our experience is, is of the other, building up anxiety and stresses and cares and then going and dumping it on Christ. And so we have to look at that. We have to see that the promise, just because our understanding or our belief of something is not what it should be, doesn't make it any less true. Our understanding and our belief do not create truth. It is so important. Truth is established by God and it is his and his alone. And our understanding and our beliefs have to reconcile to God's truth so that we can experience all the benefits that agreeing with that truth release in our life. And I think many times in our life, we have some understanding and we have our beliefs and we have our traditions and we have all these things that are just rattling around in our brains and our lives. And we're trying to always reconcile those to the word of God. I think it's a great exercise to see your box of beliefs. Because remember, beliefs are not equal to truth, are they? That's what you have to realize in yourself. Well, I believe this. See, many times we equate our beliefs to truth, but they're not. So you have your box of beliefs here. It is very important for you as a child of God to be able to access that box of beliefs. You'll find that on that box of belief when you get there, it'll have a giant rock on top that you can hardly lift. And that rock is called tradition. And you will have to wedge every bit of your weight against that rock of tradition. And it will fight back. And it will not want to move. And you will have to leverage yourself against that rock of tradition just to access the lid of the box of belief. And then once you can actually get your cope and sort through what's tradition and what's not. What's grandma's religion? And I'm not saying grandma's religion might not have been spot on. I'm just saying it requires thoughtful Holy Spirit evaluation. And if you can get that lid off of that box of beliefs, this is when it gets scary. Because you're required then to start pulling out what's in there and looking at it your doctrine, your beliefs, what have established the very behaviors in your life and hold them up to the word of God by the spirit of God and ask him, does this stay or does it go? And now that's not something you're going to start on Saturday and finish by Sunday. It is going to take a constant moving and asking the Lord to keep you teachable. It, it's hard work. How many of you have, would say in here, and you don't have to give me the details, but you would say there have been things that you held tightly to in a belief, and then it turned out that you couldn't qualify it in the Word of God. Yes.
Right. And, and to be clear here, I'm not talking about things that are not in line with the Word of God. There's a great movement right now to invent current culture truths. And I won't get into them all. Yes, relativity. Because as we learned at the ARC experience, this was phenomenal. Ken Ham, who is the mastermind of the whole thing, he gave a lecture. And he, he's a phenomenal teacher. And he said, he showed this slide, and he said, there are only two religions in the world. There's only two beliefs in the world. Man's word and God's word. Period. He said, everything else, he said, in our worldview, we build our worldview on man's word, or we build our worldview on God's word. And what we're seeing in our culture is man's word is starting to filter into the foundation of our Christian worldview and Christian worldviews are beginning to crumble because we want to be accepting in the, because that's what love looks like is to be accepting of all people. See, that's how beliefs begin to, begin to fade, come in and we start to espouse things that are just not true. And I'm not saying that this is something that you can, I can't sort it out for you. You have to do the time in the prayer closet before God's word and listening to his voice in order to separate what is actually fundamentally true from the word of God and what is just a part of your belief system and tradition. And folks, I have seen in the years of pastoring and teaching, so much superstition is involved in people's belief systems. Superstition, meaning, you know, oh, don't say that, don't do that, don't, you know, it's just a, they've, they've taken faith and they've, and, they've, and they've eroded it down to something that's living and, 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 and dynamic in their life to accomplish things and it just becomes a set of formulas and, and it, just, it just looks like, it reads like superstition and more fear. And I, I didn't intend to get into those things, but my point being is that there's a real rest. Not a rest that's a come and go rest. How many of you are tired of come and go rest? There's a rest that the word of God says remains. Now we know in Genesis 1, God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep and the spirit of God hovered upon the waters and God spoke into the darkness and he said, let there be light and there was light. And the evening and morning was the first day and on the second day God said, you know, and you know the whole thing there. But he gets all the way through. Y'all are going to be impressed for a moment. You thought I could quote the whole thing. I can't as far as I go. And so as we go through, God created the sixth day and he created man on the sixth day. Is that right? Yes, six is the number of man. He created man on the sixth day. And on the seventh day, what did God create? He rested. Now, when God rested on the seventh day, what did he do the day after? I'm wondering, what do you think he did? What? He rested. Why did he rest? The work was done. And what did he do the day after that? Why? The work was still done. And what did he do the next day? I don't know how many days, in, but I'm just, getting a, I'm just getting you to start thinking. When God rested, he remained at rest, right? 
Now, when man sinned, we see God doing something else, don't we? What did, man, what did, what did God do? He went after man. He found man hiding his shame, trying to cover it up in ways that would not work. Colossal failure of man is what man always does. And what did God do? He did a work. What was his work? He slew animals and he made coverings of skin. And we do not see rest again. We don't see finish again. A finished work again and rest coming after that until what? The animals were slain. Christ on a cross uttered the words, It is. And what did, what happened after it was finished? Just follow the pattern. Rest. <laughs> come unto, now, all of a sudden, he, now, Matthew 11, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you He's saying that before, but he knows what he's going to do. The cross provides rest. Hebrews, now let's read Hebrews 3 here. See, I want you to see rest as something other than getting eight hours of sleep at night. I want you to see rest as something other than, um, you know, going on vacation and getting some R&R. I want you to see rest as a theological fact that you're in right now, even when sweat's running down your face and you're working in 120 degree Texas heat and you're thirsty and you're, you're doing, you're laboring at your job. You know what you are at rest. Not because of rest that stops you from moving, stops you from working, but by rest that has to do with what? What did he say you would find rest for in, in Matthew 11? And I will give rest to your soul, your mind, will, and an internal rest because of what Christ has done, that you are now yoked to him by the Spirit, the inborn Spirit, the Holy Spirit living in your spirit, communicating the Word of God, the will of God, the plan of God, the rest of God to you, and you applying that to your mind, will, and emotion. I can fix your anxiety. I can't personally. I can give you the antidote. And it doesn't require Pfizer or Moderna or I don't know another drug company's name. But it doesn't require them. You don't have to add Abilify. And I'm not dogging on, on, on drugs. I'm not. I'm just not. I know, I mean, please understand me. I am saying there is a real rest for the children of God. And many times, we haven't allowed that truth to even enter our box of beliefs. Because we think that rest is for heaven. It's for now. You can live in a crazy, chaotic world, and you can have... Why? Because it is finished. But I want that to be your experience because I can tell right now you're going, but that's not my experience. How do I give, how do I, I want it to be my experience. I understand that. It is a matter 
of surrendering your entire life to the completed work of cross and allowing that daily application of the cross, not for sin, sin's already been dealt with, right? But your flesh has not been. And you know where you find anxiety? Is it in your spirit? It's in your mind, in your flesh, your solical part. And so I'm not saying this is easy, but it is worth it. Okay, so we look here and we see here. I'm going to start reading in Hebrews 3. Listen, obey, or harden and fall away. That's, I've told you about the, I love the headings in this, um, the tree of life, the Messianic study Bible. It's, that's the heading. Listen and obey, or harden and fall away. Therefore, just as the Ruach, Kadesh, says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the day of rebellion. What day of rebellion is he talking about there? Anybody know? When you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the day of rebellion. Anybody know? What, what's the day of rebellion he's talking about there? The, the, the wilderness. What was the temptation of the wilderness? In the, it goes on to say, on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test, though they saw my works for 40 years, therefore I was provoked by this generation, and I said, they always go astray where? In their heart. As they have not known my ways, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. If our hearts have not been changed by God, you will not know rest. Oh, I've got it in here. Deuteronomy, one of my favorite scriptures. Let me find this in my wild notes. Y'all would laugh. Oh, Deuteronomy 5.29. <clears throat> oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my commands always that it may be well with them and their sons forever that's God speaking let's just let's just hear let's just put let's just see God going oh that they oh that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my commands always that it may be well with them and with their sons forever. That is, that's God's prayer request. Is that, is that possible here on earth? I'm just asking you, what do you think? Is that, is that prayer of God possible here on earth, or is it something you have pushed into the future of heaven? It's possible. You say it's possible. I believe it. Anybody have any scriptures that would tell us that it's possible? Can we, can we prove that with scripture? Ezekiel 36, I believe. And I will give them, I will take out of them the heart of stone, dead heart. I will take out of them the heart of stone. Now, we're not talking about the physical organ here. We all know that, right? And I will take out of them, this is talking about nature. I will take out of them the heart of stone, and I will put into them a heart of flesh, and I will write my laws upon the heart of flesh, and they will, I have it here too, and they will, mm, somewhere, I have it, and they will, Obey my words is the, I'm, I'm paraphrasing there, and it's spoken again in Hebrews. God 
through the finished work of Christ, made it possible for you to have a new heart. A heart where fear doesn't rest. A heart where anxiety doesn't rest. A heart, a heart that desires to do his commands and they're not grievous. A heart that wants to obey God. A heart that is so much like his heart, I don't have to give you any list of rules and regulations. A heart that has been crafted by the very hands of the Holy Spirit that only yearns for one thing, Abba, Father. A heart that doesn't fear God as a cruel taskmaster and judge, but a heart that runs to him because of the love that it feels for the Father. A new heart, a new heart. Not a doc Doctrine can't give you this heart. It's tried for years. Religion cannot give you this heart. You will go to church week in and week out and still fear the wrath of God because you feel like you're not measuring up to him. See, your heart of flesh has to be removed. Yes. That's exactly right, because positionally, we are already sanctified and set apart and seated with Christ Jesus, right? But practically and experientially, it hasn't happened yet. But through the work of the Holy Spirit, indwelling man's spirit, applying that new heart to our, our, our old mindsets, we can find a liberty and a victory that will blow your minds. Yes. Oh, man. Yes. Absolutely. That's exactly right. And I have in my life, when I was, when I was young, I battled with a spirit of fear. Battled with. If I'd have gone to the doctor, they would have diagnosed me as clinically depressed. That's what the, I know. I mean, I've, I've watched enough drug commercials to know. I'm now a doctor. Yeah, I didn't even have to go to school. But, I mean, having a spirit of fear, what I mean by that, like you're just in a room full of people, and all of a sudden you just feel like a dark cloud enters in, and you feel a sense of dread and doom. Like there's something impending that you just can't figure out, but it's something bad and it's going to happen. And you feel like, the, like, the, like 
like the wind is being choked out of you because you feel like, you know, and then, then it starts whispering lies about what it could be, you know. Some, a loved one could die. This could happen. That could happen. This is going to happen. You could be sick and you don't even know it and that and that. And how would you, I'm, anybody, I know, I mean, anybody would be brave enough to raise their hand and say, yeah, I've been there, done that, bought the t-shirt. Got the hat, you got the whole garb, right? Yes. And this is what, in, in my life, I walked with, and we were in ministry. We were in ministry, and it was just something that, and I can tell you what, what brought it about was a series of cataclysmic changes in my family where family structure had begun to be changed, and it started to, the things that I had built my security on began to be rattled. Because how many of you know you can't build security on anything of this earth? And so we can all probably go, yeah, check, I've done that before. And some of you may still be living with that now. But this is how I, the Lord showed me with a new heart, and I had to learn to close the gap with, from what I believe, truth. I had to close the gap from what the truth is and how I behaved. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You know the truth, and that's what you believe. You've already examined the truth, your belief against the truth, and you know that's right. But then you examine your behavior against that, and it's not congruent. See, this is where the new operating system of the Spirit has to be plugged in. So this is, through the Word of God, through the Spirit of God, I began to pray about that, and the Lord began to instruct me to, number one, do the opposite of whatever fear said, if fear said sit down, I stood up. If condemnation said don't, they don't like you, I made them my best friend. You see what I'm saying? I did the opposite of it. I mean, if, if I was sitting here and through fear and intimidation and dread, I, you know, the devil was telling me Melissa hated me. I made it a point to be like, hey, Melissa, how's it going? Not that I didn't assume she was my enemy. I pushed against the behavior that the lie was trying to make me do. Because if I, if I fueled the lie and said, oh, I feel like Melissa hates me. What I would eventually start doing is this. This is what always happens. I would begin to separate myself from, from Melissa and she wouldn't be unbeknownst to all this. And then I might find other people who I could partner with and make Melissa my enemy. You see what I'm doing there? I'm sorry, Melissa. I just use you as an example. I have no problem with Melissa. So here, that's how it would work. And so I would begin to align my action with the lie. I would begin to agree with the lie with my action. And that lie would begin to develop fruit in the area of anxiety, fear, suspicion, jealousy, paranoia that was just the that was the fruit of the seed I was sowing so the Lord began to show me that I had to do the opposite so that was a, that was an actual something I could I had to refuse the lie and do the opposite of what the lie was telling me and then in the areas of lies the what if lies I think those are sometimes the biggest you know the lie would be because my family had completely dissolved and I had no structure in my mind I felt like the only person I could count on was Mike made sense so the lie was all the time he's gonna die if he was five minutes late he's dead you see what I mean like 
and the anxiety that would be associated with that, the anxiety I would adopt would be as real as if it had already happened. And anxiety would flood my body, you know, and my brain, your brain, cortisone, everything would flood all through your body. It would make you feel dizzy and you'd feel that your whole body would be alerted to the fact that he was dead, even though he wasn't, it was just a lie. Do y'all see what I'm saying? How many of y'all have experienced that? And you probably walk in it daily. This is what the Lord told me to do. Take the lie, he's dead, and go, oh well, nothing I can do about it, God's still God. That's what, the, the lie would come. He's dead, I go, what can I do about it? God will still be God tomorrow and he'll protect me. As I, you think, that's, you can't do that. You can't do that. Yeah, I can. Because there was no truth in it. There was no actual fact. It could be true or it could not be true. I don't know. I haven't gotten to the, it, it would reveal itself soon enough. But as I began to go, oh, well, God, you know, you'll take care of that too. As I began to instantly not take the bait and wrangle in the what if and adopt it as my own and let all of the emotions that go with adopting that just begin to flood my whole body and take over and ravish my whole mind. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Instead of doing that, I said, no, I don't even care. God will be God. And I shut that door. And as I did that, I observed that one day, I remember I was in our master bedroom in Hot Springs. I was all of a sudden, I went, I don't have fear anymore. Fear had nothing to work with. It never knocked on my door. The lies never showed up. Nothing. Because I began to realize, God began to show me that that fear is, is seated in my flesh. And as I apply the cross of Christ to my flesh, then I begin to crucify the flesh and all of its ideals and all of its values and all of its desires. And fear has no place to land. We went to Scotland. Mike had a surgery in Scotland that he had to take himself to, on the train to the hospital. We had no one. I had to get the girls or the kids all to school. And I, all through the day, then I was going to go pick him up afterward. I mean, that would have been a time before that I would have been so anxious, I would have been incapacitated. I never even thought about it. I said, Lord, I pray that you watch over and protect him. I got the girls to school. He was having surgery. I knew what time I was supposed to pick him up. I had to go get the kids from school, bring them back to the house, drive across town to Glasgow, go to the hospital, pick him up. I didn't even go to the hospital with him. I walked in and he had nearly bled to death during surgery, right? They didn't want, the doctor didn't want me to take him. I was like, I was, he walked in, he was gray. Blood was all in his hair, everywhere. I mean, my advice to you, don't have, a, don't, don't have surgery in a foreign country. I went, I walked in the room and the doctor was real nervous. He was a South African doctor. He's like, oh, and the nurses were all like hopping around, weren't they? And I went, what happened? He said, well, we nicked a, a major artery and a lot of blood and blah, blah, blah. We really want to keep him here for observation. I went, no, that's not going to be possible. I said, get your, I said, can you stand up? He said, yeah. I said, get your clothes on. He went, ma'am, you don't understand. I said, he can die at home as easily as he can die here. I said, God's got this. Is that not true? He went, okay. Did you have any problems with it after that? No. I'd never any fear. You say, that's callous. That's, you didn't even show compassion. I had such confidence in God. I didn't have any fear about it. 
I mean, I'm not saying, but you know what? Because my belief, and I was so anchored in who God was, and that's the way we lived when they were, we were there. But I'm telling you, you, I have observed as I take over, I have in the, in the past taken back over the reins of my life. I have. Where I could fly anywhere in the world, and that plane could be bucking like a bull. And I never even noticed. Today, if I fly and that plane moves a bit, I'm like, crap. <laughs> Why? See, I've allowed, you see what I'm saying? I've allowed my heart somewhere along the way to shift back into agreement with my flesh. What? <laughs> what? Uh-huh. Yeah, and get back to hunting. If y'all missed the first story, that was it's confusing to you. <laughs> he said, clear the table, find our teeth, and get back to hunting. That's a good, because you're saying we've so cluttered our life with all of this that we haven't yoked ourselves to Christ. And so my goal is, that from the time we came back from Scotland until even this, I mean, I would, I'd never struggle with fear to the same degree I have. But I will say that I've allowed anxiety to enter in, in the area of the what-ifs, time and time again. I just confess it because it's just as true as I'm standing here, and I would do you no good to lie about it, would I? But I have to say, Lord... Because I have this body of knowledge, right? I have to take that body of knowledge that I have and I have to apply it to here. And I have to say, Lord, what's happened? And the Lord said, your heart has moved in unbelief. Because why did the children of Israel not go into the promised land? Unbelief. And unbelief was the, was the, the rancid progenitor of all kinds of things. What was it? Anxiety. Do y'all think they were anxious about the giants? We know they were because they said, we're grasshoppers. They're going to kill our children. Oh, how noble. See, we can take anxiety and make it so noble, can't we? Look how noble that is. Oh, you look like such a servant. You're so worried about your children. See how that... See how we can, we can so foster those spirits. See, it has to do with unbelief. And so, because I've asked the Lord that, why are areas of fear that I have completely conquered? Y'all, and I mean conquered to the point that it didn't even exist to the point that I look back now and I look at that Andrea and I go, you're an idiot. Is, <laughs> am I kidding? I was an idiot. <laughs> I mean, Hannah was in the fifth grade, sixth grade, and I let her, she checked into school, and they said, we're going on a camping trip in the Highlands with her class, and we're chartering, and what we're going to be doing is people, the kids have been saving for this for years, and we had an education budget figured in, and it was for homeschool, but since she wasn't going to homeschool, we now had this allocation of monies we could reapply somewhere else, because public school was free, and so they said, and we're going, and we're going to take a week, we're chartering a bus, and the whole class in there, and we're leaving on Monday, so you, you know, I just want to let you know, you might want to wait a week before you enroll her in school, because she's going to be here by herself, unless you want her to go, they never expected I'd let her go, I said, sure, she can go, they're like, but we're going to be, they wetsuits, and they're going to be exploring caves, and they're going to be doing all these things, and I was like, yeah, let her go, 
I look back at that decision from my advantage now, and I go, what is wrong with you? No, but see, but then I go, wait a second, wait a second. I feel as though, Lord, I've let an unbelief, evil heart of unbelief be built back up. And the reason I know that, and you're like, no, no, that's not true. The reason I know that is because there is no fear in love. Because perfect love casts out fear. And if I am not living in a no-fear zone, then I'm not living in perfect love. And my heart is not postured in full belief. So, see, we have to stop trying to congratulate ourselves for worry and passing it off as love for our family. We have to stop trying to live in fear and anxiety and just act like it's just a matter of concern and compassion. Is this, is this all right? Because I believe that an, an unbelieving heart brings us such staggering at the promises of God because we won't go forward. And I'm just here to tell you, I want to do violence to my unbelief in my life because I believe in the day that we are living, there is no place for unbelief. And I want the word of God to search me and try me. I could probably find all kinds of unbelief in you, but it would do me no good to do that because it really would only between you and God. But what I can do is posture myself before the word of God. I can so ask the word of God to divide me. Jesus said, you think I have come to bring peace on earth? No. I've come to bring a sword. He said, you think that I've come to bring peace on earth in another gospel? He says, no, I've come to bring division. The thing that the word of God has to divide in our life is soul and spirit. We have to allow the word of God to begin to assess in our life what is soulical and of the flesh, which cannot please God. The flesh cannot please God. Say that with me. The flesh cannot please God. So for me, to crucify the flesh is not an act of heaven, is it? Because heaven won't have flesh. It is an act now. And I cannot allow unbelief and all of its Wicked fruits of bitterness, shame, insecurity, fear, rejection, self-obsession, isolation, depression. These are all self-sabotage of your rest. Every one of them will claw and devour your rest. But if we can allow the Spirit of God to be so set up in our lives where we only listen to the Word of God, and if it's contrary to the Word of God, we immediately do violence to it. And we say, no, I won't have that. Then I am telling you, you can live a life where the Spirit of God, where whom this was seen where the spirit of the lord is there is there's freedom what is their freedom from name them name some freedoms for me freedom from self that's a big one that if you can get freedom from self you've got freedom from every other thing what else is there freedom from freedom insecurities 
Fear. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom from what? Anxiety. Sin. All of it is. So that's what she said. If we could take self there, then we have it all. But see, sometimes just to say the word self is not, is not um, descriptive enough that we don't go, okay, I got rid of self. But if we have the fruit of self still hanging around the branch, then we have to say self is not dealt with. Self is just not dealt with. And so we can understand that in Christ, there is a rest that remains. I pray, my prayer is, Lord, set up your heart, your heart, the believing heart that says, yes, God can. Yes, God will. God, I will go wherever you call me to go. I will walk wherever you call me to walk. I will not live in fear and of self-obsession, but I will live governed by the Spirit of God and the word of God and I will work in that rest that the completed work of Christ has accomplished daily and I will not do anything that is unpleasing to you because my heart pants like the deer after the water brook so my soul longeth after you O God wow I believe it's possible I know it's possible I don't want to attack your sins because I can't fix them. I don't want to give you a list of do's and don'ts. I would rather you just do what's natural to you to do and stop trying to hide it. As soon as you get it out in the open, we can deal with it. I believe that God wants us to walk in a dimension of rest that we cannot even conceive. And he wants us to do that. You know why he wants us to do it? Because he loves us. He loves us. I want to be a, a Joshua who says, yes, God can. I want to be a Jonathan that says, who knows? I want to be one who, based on the heart that God has given me, steps out in places that God will furnish the ability in the time. I don't want to live in fear. I want a life without limits. I will not tolerate unbelief in my own life. And when I see it, I will attack it by the word of God. And anywhere there's unbelief, there's laziness, there's anxiety, there's fear, there's a sense of shame and rejection and depression that will lead to sin. Why, why, will, why will people start sinning there? Because they will start self-medicating to cover up all those other things I just listed. They want to escape. And their escape will be different depending upon the person and where their walk is with the Lord. You may just escape into Netflix. Maybe you don't escape into a bottle of wild turkey. But you'll escape into watching other people escape into a bottle of wild turkey. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's my, that's my dad's exact philosophy. My dad had the best grass. Well, <laughs> he had that kind of grass too. But later, 
He had a green thumb. What can I say? He had the best yard around after he got saved. Before he got saved, our yard was like dirt. I'm telling you. All of his energies were on growing marijuana at that time. But once he got saved, he turned his, you know, his energies toward making, I mean, and he would, he would sit out there on the lawn and they fertilized all the time and watered all the time. We had a well, so watered and watered. And we had to mow our yard about every two days. It's not a joke. My mother had to do it. Sorry. My dad wasn't much on the mowing part. He said, I'm the designer. You're the worker. <laughs> and he wanted my mother to mow it diagonal one way this way and two days later mow it this way. So we're the only people in Bellevue, Texas, a town of 400 people who has a checkerboard pattern in our yard. Bermuda, we had the best grass. He said, he said, those old ladies will drive by and they're jealous of my yard. I don't know if that was true or not. But he never worried about weeds. He just fertilized the grass. And all those other things, all that unbelief. I'm telling you, you can just lose yourself so far in God. You can. You can lose yourself so far in the spirit of God that you say, Lord, I, when I went to the ark, that was, I mean, I was, I might have been the only person in there who had tears in my eyes. I was glad it was dark in there. Because I was reading those. And when we got to the exhibit of the door, and they liked it, likened it to Christ, that God has provided a way of escape. But they made the point that God closed the door. And he sealed it. And that door was closed and sealed by God. But and then eventually it was opened again. And one thing that was amazing to me, they pointed out there was no rudder on the ark. Man didn't navigate it. It was totally navigated by God. And I was so astounded at seeing it all. And what kept going over in my mind is how absolutely perfect the purposes and plans of God are. And how that the purposes of God will prevail, regardless of what man chooses to do. I could see that in this display of this ark. And that my purpose is to align myself with his purpose. Not to create his purpose. Not to alter his purpose. Not to thwart his purpose or navigate his purpose, but to submit to his purpose. In the upcoming election, it is a crucial election. I don't have to tell any of you that, and I hope you vote. But regardless of who wins the presidential position, God's purposes will prevail. And I am going to find myself aligned with God's purposes. And anytime anxiety and fear of the unknown comes in, I don't know what 2021 is going to be. I can give you faith speak. And I believe it. I believe God's going to send a revival. I believe God's going to move. I believe God's going to pour his spirit out. I feel that in my bones. You know what I mean? I feel that in all that I am. But I believe now is the time for each and every one of us to actually align ourselves with the things of God because there's a great pruning that's going on. Churches across 
the United States are emptying out. They really are. There's a great pruning going on. People are finding it easier to listen by recording. Hello, yes, I'm talking to you. Stop it and get in the house of God. I, I'm not trying to make friends. I'm trying to make disciples. There's such a, there's, it's easier to watch church in your pajamas. There's no confrontation. It doesn't require any effort. I can pause it. I can leave. I can come. There's no actual scrutiny. I can live huddled in fear. And I'm not saying that the coronavirus is not real. Y'all all know that. I know, I know, I know, I know it's killing some people. Many, it's 99% survivable. It's, it's a CDC statistics. It's not something that I'm making up. And let me tell you, 10 out of 10 people die. They do. I'm not being cavalier. Y'all understand that, don't you? I'm not being cavalier. I don't want anyone, anyone to be sick. I don't want it. But, but you know what? The pandemic of fear is far more detrimental to us as a church than is a, any bacterial germ or virus or anything. And I'm not telling us to be um, risky and dumb and you know, all these things. I just want us to be sober when we look at our lives in light of the horizon we're facing. If we can be, if we can be coaxed into a corner and told to shut up and sit down now, then we're going to be coaxed into a corner and told to sit down and shut up and not be let out of a locked door. God, help our unbelieving heart. We say the giants are too big. No, we don't say that. We believe we would have been ones go, we're going to take the land. No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. You wouldn't. If you won't stand up today, you think you would have stood up against giants, a race of people. You've been given the promise of victory, but all you had to do was fight. And the same is true today. We have a covenant based on better promises. Repent and believe. Cleanse your heart. See where we're at. God, forgive me of the unbelief that I have allowed into my heart. I know it's there because it manifests itself in anxiety and fear. Yes. You don't, zero. Absolutely. Right. And if you're left here alone, you know that God's going to take care of you. And that's not just something you say. It's something you actually experience the emotional reality of. Right. That's where we have to get to. How many of us would say, I'm tired of anxiety running my life? I'm tired of putting on a good front. But if I'm really honest... There's some anxiety trying to push in. And I know it's an unbelieving heart. 
So I just ask all of us just to say, Lord, create in me a clean heart. Give me a heart that believes exclusively in you. No matter what's going on on our horizon, no matter the circumstance around us, if they're burning buildings, if they're burning churches, God, I believe in you, God, and that you will give us and qualify us with the strength that is needed to accomplish the work that is before us in the environment that is present. And you have called us to be victorious in all things. And we will not fear, for you said, do not fear. Do not fear. You didn't say fear a little bit sometimes. You said be anxious for nothing but in all things through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus we thank you Lord that we are yoked to you and rest today not a rest that we come in and out of but a rest that remains Lord God and we are assured every victory that you have promised Lord God and we will stand with you and we know God if we go to the furnace, you'll be the fourth man in the flame. If we go to a lion's den, your angel will show up and close the mouths of the lions, God. We will be the people you have called us to be in this day. We will stand out as those who have arisen and are shining a city set on a hill which cannot be hid. God, deal with our unbelief. We repent before you, God, knowing that you can do all things in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, and I recommend this book to anybody who likes to do a little light reading. <laughs> it's, it's excellent. The Spiritual Man by Watchman Nee. If you're a reader and you, I mean, I've, I've, I've gotten this far and I've been reading it since the middle of the summer and I've already read these, these chapters probably twice, in some places three or four times. It's that kind of a read. I just thought... <laughs>